0: Hey,
1: Stranger! The Opus is moving out and into a new season as we continue to explore the ongoing legacy of music's most iconic records. I'm your host, Adam Unz, and this season we're celebrating the 45th anniversary of Billy Joel's fifth studio album, The Stranger, a record whose critical and commercial success catapulted the piano man to superstardom. Helping us explore this classic collection are artists like Billy Joel's drummer, Liberty DeVito, Regina Spector, Andrew McMahon in the Wilderness, Razi, Lissy, the Hells, Bayside's Anthony Renari, and Ben Folds. Great music shapes lives, shakes rafters, and embeds itself into our culture. So let's find out why only the good die young as we deep dive into the stranger. The new season is out now and is brought to you by the Consequence Podcast Network and Sony Legacy Recordings. Find us at consequence.net or wherever you get your podcasts. Consequence Podcast Network. Hello, and welcome to the Spark Parade, where I geek out with artists and entertainers about their cultural spark of inspiration. Uh, I'm Adam Unz at Spark Parade on all social media. Thanks so much for joining me. Uh, Today is an exciting day, my friend. Because I'm a huge fan of both my guest's work and of his spark of inspiration. A rare convergence. Uh, I got to speak to singer, songwriter, and producer Marius Lauber, who releases music as Roosevelt. And we talked about his love for Rules, which is the second album from the band The Whitest Boy Alive. I love, love, love Marius's music and... I love, love, love the Whitest Boy Alive's music, so it's a real win-win for me. I always have a tiny bit of trepidation when it comes to chatting with people whose work I love, but this was just a dream interview. Marius was so kind and thoughtful and really generous with his time. I really, really love this one, if that wasn't obvious. We talked a lot about the feeling of being at a concert, the experience of watching or playing live music, and the intense and really incomparable connection between the artists on stage and the crowds they're playing to. Yeah, this one made me really excited to start seeing live music again, and I just had my second vaccination shot last week, so I'll be ready pretty soon. Anyway, enough of Uh, quick Roosevelt facts. Roosevelt, a.k.a. Marius Lauber, is a German singer, songwriter, and producer whose music utilizes outstanding electronics, matching club tropes to pangs of melancholy, and it's all wrapped up in gorgeous melodies. He released his fantastic third album, Polydans, in February of this year to much acclaim. The album has been described as a love letter to electronic music. Uh, quick rules facts. Rules is the second album by Norwegian-German band The Whitest Boy Alive, who are fronted by singer and guitarist Erland Oya, who is perhaps best known for his other primary musical project, Kings of Convenience. Uh, Rules was the dancier, funkier follow-up to the band's debut album, Dreams. And there you have it. Let's get to the meat in this podcast sandwich. Ugh. No, that didn't feel good. Uh, Anyway, let's get to the main event. Here comes my chat with Roosevelt about Rules. So, rules. Yeah,
2: correct. Yeah, yeah.
1: Do you remember being turned onto it? Do you remember how you uh, discovered it first?
2: I mean, I try to remember, but it's it's a band that like suddenly just was there. Mm-hmm. There are these bands where you don't really know what what was your first contact, and they yeah they, suddenly everyone was listening to them um, in my kind of yeah late teens. Lona was like seventeen, eighteen. Yeah, I mean, it's hard for me to think about where to start uh, about the band, but um, suddenly they were playing a lot of festivals uh, in Germany, especially because they were based in Berlin and they have a few German members. And yeah, they were just suddenly there. And and um, they were like the perfect hybrids of everything I was doing at the moment because I'm coming from a kind of guitar indie background, uh, played in different guitar bands, and that was. Kind of all i was listening to with like 13 14 15 um the strokes arctic monkeys the hives stuff like that right. and then there was this kind of electronic hype you know which was called electro at the time i guess like stuff like digitalism and um all the Ed banger stuff like i remember when justice uh, the cross album came out right that kind of um as someone from a rock background that that made sense suddenly you know it it, it was electronic music that made sense uh, for us and for me. And then Why Dispoil Life was this kind of, yeah, this bridge between those two worlds for me because they played electronic music, but it was played with the instruments that I know, that I knew at the time. So it was kind of the same devices that we were using, so to speak, but a totally different vibe. You know, suddenly it felt like you were standing on a dance floor rather than watching like an indie band Right. And that was so, yeah, that was so special about them.
1: Yeah. And I guess the creation of that band starting out as something that was supposed to be dance music, it was going to be like an electronic project. Yeah. And kind of taking a dance sensibility and applying it to live instrumentation. And I think the kind of transition from the first album into the second album, the second album leans in even more into the dancier side of things. And it's like... yeah you know a bit funkier and uh the first album is like sort of surf guitar um and then yeah uh yeah just ma- making dance music organically um and you know their interviews with the band where they talk about you know if they were just programming music they could decide weeks in advance what the gig was going to be and yeah. there wouldn't you know you can improvise over a uh, track but it's a there's it's difficult to really deviate from what you've decided in the first place and when they're playing live instruments there's a lot more room to shift the the tone of the the songs and you know make it different for each gig right and i i think that focus on like the the live side of things was really interesting to me too
2: yeah i mean at the time i wasn't even thinking about that too much because i wasn't as experienced of a live player or something i I didn't know how to you know put up a live show or something Mm. but for me what was interesting was the feeling when you saw them playing which was really um it was different from like watching a band like if you see an indie band a show um you could really like it and you don't move at all like you just see it and afterwards you say oh it was really a great show and with them it was really energetic and the crowd was a part of the whole experience, which you know some indie guitar bands also uh, managed to to make that happen, but like I said earlier, it just felt like a dance floor and it felt like yeah the crowd was a part of the whole thing and um yeah, like you said, the second album was when when Daniel the the keyboard player um started playing synthesizers in the band mm. before it was just a fan of Rhodes, which i when I listened back to their catalog, I didn't even experience didn't expect that the first album was without any synthesizers hmm. because it already was like quite not electronic but you know fall to the floor kind of if i remember like stuff like uh, burning or fireworks which were already like big hits yeah just fennel roads and drums which is like almost more you know the the most um impressive about them that it's even without any synthesizers already felt like like dance music in a way and um yeah, the sec I chose the second album because it's um mostly because it's like Daniel's use of synthesizers, because the way he plays chords and how he voices the chords and um the way he also you know, often in the verses play the the Rhodes, which gives it like a like a quite melancholic feel. And then in the chorus he jumps to the to the Krumah, to the he plays a Krumah D S two synthesizer. Um yeah, just his playing is is for me such a big part why I love this band so much. And um I in like um in hindsight, like when I when I think about this band now, I, I just realise how many things about them influenced me. Not just the you know, the way they played the instruments, but also also their attitude. You know, also the way that they that they performed was really understated and really not about a front man like they they were standing in one line like even the drummer was at the like really close to the audience um there wasn't any like i don't know there's there's a front man and then there's like a backing band which is the case um the case with like most most bands it was really like uh i don't know it felt like you watched a rehearsal or something like it was really no hierarchy um something like that and that was quite uh inspiring to me and to this day we On stage, when we play live, we also try to do that. We try to bring the drums up front just to make everything visible and really accessible um, to the audience. Mm -hmm. And um, I guess like, I don't know, Hot Chip or some other synth bands um, during that time, they were often labelled like nerds or something. Yeah. Um, But it's kind of more than that, you know, I think they they weren't kind of promoting that image of them or something. Uh, it, It was just the way they were, you know. Yeah. Um and there weren't any crazy stage outfits. It just seemed really authentic and really natural how they how they appeared. And um even that, you know, influenced me a lot. And even the remixes, I just I just uh remember the the Fred Falke remix mm-hmm. of Golden Cage. Um, you know, game changer for me. Yeah. Like complete, complete, like it changed everything, you know, how I saw electronic music and the, there was a Sascha Funke remix. Which was suddenly everywhere, and everyone was playing it. Yeah. So there's many different things that that inspired, yeah, me personally, but also Roosevelt. Yeah, on stage and in the studio, and yeah, often it's often you only realize it later, I guess.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I, I think the, there's a lot of. Um, you made a lot of good points about like there's this feeling of kind of camaraderie. Um, watching them that it's like they're equals there's no you know even even in interviews it's like everybody takes a turn talking they're not trying to say yeah here's our famous front man and the rest of us are just kind of surplus requirements yeah they're all equals they're all a part of it and that kind of feeling of community was reflected back from the audience as well it's like a really dedicated fan base yeah and they have talked as well about, like, the the crowds that, um, uh, you know, appreciate them most, that really get the music the most,
2: that it's like this kind of
1: semi-religious experience that, you know, it's like people really yeah. sharing yeah. this energy and... Um,
2: yeah, but that, you know, that's the point about dance music that's mm. so special about it, that the... Um, I also, I always say that when, you know, people ask me where I DJ, um, like, what's my favorite spot to DJ? And it's mostly the places where the the stage is really low and you're kind of part of the crowds um, because that's that's the idea for me f- of of dance music you know when, when DJs started they were literally just the, the disc jockeys you know they were kind of part of the or the, the crew you know mm-hmm. they were putting on the music rather than being on the stage and having like a like a festival light show and whatever and it's kind of, yeah thinking of White As Life kind of reminds me of that that kind of the the the, the special thing about dance music is that Kind of ping pong with the audience, you know, like yeah. it's uh, it's not about the 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 spotlight is on them, and after like ninety minutes, the show is over. But it it is a um, yeah, like it is about the feedback they are getting from the audience. And I and I watched like I don't know probably five or six different shows by them, and everyone was different. You know, everyone mm-hmm. whenever the crowd was engaging, they played the songs in a longer version, and um, yeah, it really was about. Like you said I mean I don't want to get too esoteric or something but it is a it is a quite religious experience when there's yeah when the when the song is kind of shared with everyone in the crowd and you know it's a it's a performance that includes the the crowd
1: yeah and that the parallels to uh between DJing and being in a live band but still responding to the crowd are really strong it's like a dj playing a set and seeing what the crowd is responding to and adjusting things thinking through what's going to come next so that there's like peaks and valleys you know really trying to make an experience
2: yeah exactly and that's another thing that we that i definitely learned from them yeah yeah i mean there, there were other bands at the time i guess it was Hotship in the UK and then LCD Sound System in the States that were doing like, I mean, in itself kind of different thing. Like LCD, for example, was way more rock oriented, especially on the first album. Mm-hmm. But um, they were kind of diff- doing a, a similar thing in terms of performing dance music with a live band. And Why This Boy Alive was just for me so special because they were around, you know, in, in those kind of teenage years it was way more about kind of current bands and who was playing at festivals and who was uh, yeah who was playing a tour you know twice a year and you who you could see with your friends you know right and um they were just you know they were based in berlin and playing it's playing so much so they were kind of our band at the time yeah just our favorite band
1: time for a quick break because somebody's got to keep the lights on around here but we'll be
0: right back
1: and uh, i think there's something about their music as well that gives me the feeling that that kind of even from the first time i heard their music there's kind of a um weird like deja vu nostalgia that's that's like mm-hmm. um i don't i don't know if sunny minor key is a uh genre but it's like that kind of like really hopeful and energetic and uplifting but at the same time there's like this tinge of sadness that makes you feel it's like the first time i i heard them it made me feel like i should be reminiscing about having heard them before or something like uh
2: right yeah i think i had the same feeling yeah yeah i mean i guess it's you know Alan Oya is coming from like a more like a singer-songwriter background with things mm-hmm. of convenience and I think you hear that in their music that it's actually songs and then th- that there's actually in all kind of the groove and the, um, the the fall to the floor beat that is, you know, kind of imitating like a drum machine kind of disco electronic beat. There there are kind of songs, you know, and, and often quite sad songs mm-hmm. as like the backbone, you know. Yeah. And um, I just feel like often bands that are trying a similar thing kind of forget that, you know, that the biggest value is the song still you know everything else is kind of the style you perform it and the instrumentation and which is all super important you know and i um for me working on roosevelt is so much about sounds and production you know it's a huge part but um you know there's no value in that if if there's no so- a good song underneath mm-hmm. and um that's also what what White world life for me uh, stands for you know because i i saw alan playing Uh, I don't know which song it was, but he was playing like a Whitest Boy Live song on an acoustic guitar. Mm. And it still had the same kind of emotional effects on me, you know. So um, that's pretty special about them as well, that all this yeah, style of playing is just a bonus in a way, you know. And there's there's really good songs underneath. Yeah. And also
1: just lyrically... uh, A lyric video popped up when I was just looking through their stuff in preparation for this um, for fireworks and just reading those lyrics as they're coming at you. um, It's so dense and complex, but it feels really breezy. It's like, you know, if you think about somebody who people talk about as like being a great lyricist, somebody like Bob Dylan, who makes it very clear that he wants you to think. He's a, an amazing lyricist. Yeah. And with this music, it's like the lyrics are amazing, but it's just you can just let it wash over you. You can engage with those words or not, and the song structure, uh, it, it's all those component components combined and you can engage with as much or as little of that as you want. Um but it is yeah, just these like perfectly crafted tunes. Um, in addition to all of this other stuff we've been talking about.
2: Yeah, I, I think the the kind of therapeutical uh, aspect of doing like dance music combined with like uh, emotional and, and melancholic lyrics is that you kind of in the moment of performing them or even listening to them you ha- already have like a solution to it, which is kind of dancing, dancing it away, like mm-hmm. dancing the pain away mm-hmm. in a way, which is, you know, which Elsley Sound System for me also perfected in a way. Yeah. We- they also have like quite melancholic lyrics. Um, yeah, but at the same time when they're performing, they're kind of dancing all the pain away, like I said. And uh, there's something special about sharing uh, those, I wouldn't call it s- even sad, but I guess melancholic is like the right word. mm mm-hmm. Sharing that with an audience you know being being at a festival and moving in a crowd while everyone in their head has this emotion you know it's 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 something way deeper than like a hedonistic kind of um you know kind of d j without any lyrics, which you know all has its time and place you know mm. at, you know at the i don't know after show party at a festival you don't you you do want to have that experience you know right but um There's something super special to me about the feeling of sharing that with the crowd, you know, like, uh, like a moving dancing crowd that all has underneath the, the euphoric feeling, kind of this melancholic uh, understanding about the lyrics and about the the song. Yeah, 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 definitely.
1: And, uh, you know, thinking about, I mean, this is not. An experience i've ever had but like those mega clubs in vegas and seeing like dead mouse performing on like a floating stage somewhere like very far away from the crowd and it's like everything's kind of separated um yeah. and that experience like you said it's like it's a, a different thing it's a particular thing there's nothing wrong with that but the the uh kind of flip side where it's something like this where the band really wants to engage with the crowd and wants to feel like they're sharing something with them instead of like, we are the performers and we're delivering something to you and you can do whatever you want with it. It's like they want to have the, the the experience of the crowd be something that affects what they're doing, too.
2: Yeah, Yeah. And I think that's
1: obviously one of the most devastating and shitty things about the last year is that experience is so limited now and, you know people can do zoom gigs or whatever yeah. and you know
2: i mean that's why I, why i also didn't really do any live streams to be honest mm. um because it when i when we play live when i like when, when i play live with the band it isn't about delivering a, a product you know it's not about this is our show you pay you paid like a fee to see us here it is you know it is about that exchange and our best shows are always the ones with the best crowds you know mm. if we think about which show was the best we don't think about when we played you know our parts the best or something or when the sound and our monitoring was the best we always only think about the crowd um Mm. because that's the 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 key you know to to us kind of enjoying it the most and um this yeah back and forth of of energy can really give you like a really you know high and really it gives you the 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 um, confirmation wh- why you're doing it in the first place, you know, Mate. and um, yeah, it's crazy sometimes because you can be as as tired and hungover until, uh, uh yeah, as much as you want if the crowd gives you the feeling of this is the we're getting what you're doing and they're involved in, invo- in the in the in the whole performance. Then you're there again, you know, you know why you're there, and 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 um, yeah, it's really. Um, kind of the only like I said kind of the only thing also we remember about shows and uh, yeah I think it started seeing bands like What Is Boy Alive Mm -hmm. yeah and also another point I was thinking about when I kind of chose their album is that whenever I'm producing something now in the studio I always imagine a band playing it you know Mm. and they're just seeing them play and how they were kind of setting up on stage kind of influenced me in that way i mean it's kind of hard to describe because it's something really subconscious when i'm in the studio but i always when i like mix drums for example i always imagine where they are on stage how the drummer plays and uh stuff like that if, if that makes any sense yeah you know? yeah totally. i always have the vision of a band playing and they with with them kind of the first band that i really saw playing dance music um i mean there, there was justice before them but they were more or less doing a DJ set, even mm-hmm. even though it was a live show. But with them being like kind of the first band playing dance music, um, you know, in a in a live way with live drums and synthesizers, they really started that with me. You know, when I produce music, that I see the band playing And um, that, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to explain, but it's, it's not only about the sonic thing, but it's really like a, like a, like a, um, yeah, a, a vision I always have, uh, how, how the, how the song I always have like an image of a band, and that's how the song should sound. If that mm-hmm. makes any sense, you yeah. know where the drums are and where the how how far the lead singer is in the front, and I don't know. It's a really maybe it's a quite artistic thing, but it's um, they kind of started that because the way they they are on stage is really special. And uh, yeah, yeah, and I think
1: that uh, it's interesting to just think about that whole process. That it's like starting with an idea of how you want the instruments to sound, then thinking about. Every time you're playing in a different space, thinking about the space and how the positioning of each person within each individual space is going to affect things. And then also the kind of unknown, uncontrolled element of how the crowd is going to respond and all of those things coming together. And when it's a good show, it's like these pieces have uh, formed into this kind of magic moment where everybody is really responding to it and everything, you know, lands exactly right.
2: Yeah. I mean, live shows are, they can be quite a pain, you know. I mean, sometimes I think because I'm in the the electronic music scene more than I'm in like an indie rock scene or whatever. Yeah. So sometimes I think, why why am I not just DJing and you know taking a USB stick and making my life a lot easier? <laughs> but I think you know DJing is really safe. It, um, it's not that I I I had some of the best nights DJing, but um, it never gets to like hundred percent. You mm-hmm. know, it's always like. DJing is always like an 80% good experience, you know, of mm-hmm. like how good a good a live show or like a performance, how you want to call it, uh, can yeah. be. But, you know, life goes from zero to 100, you know, it's so many variables that are important for like a good experience. You know, the crowd being like the main one, you know, you never know at a festival how many people are actually turning up. Like sometimes we play big festivals and there are 20 people because mm-hmm. You realize oh the xx is playing on the main stage right now you know and you never know you know you, you can't check the timetable before or something right and the sound and the the traveling and um there's so many things that can go wrong also you know sending all my equipment uh for you know playing a festival in spain and sending everything like in a cheap airline because that's the only airline that flies to the place mm-hmm. all my like synthesizers and stuff it never really occurred actually that something was missing or broken but it it is quite it's quite risky you know yeah and um especially with DJing being so common now like nobody would be surprised if I turn up when they haven't seen me before when I turn up with a DJ uh, with a USB stick and you know just DJ my tracks yeah. but there's something special about playing live like you can have that kind of magic experience where the the crowds the energy of the crowd can inform your playing and um it's just a you know special thing and something completely different from from djing
1: yeah and just also you know uh different kinds of attention like when people are djing i don't think the focus really ever remains on a dj for the whole night yeah and with live performance um you know obviously People still look at their phones and talk to their friends during gigs, but yeah. um, you know, for the most part, the attention is really on the performers, and yeah. that's where that reciprocal reciprocal relationship comes in. That it's like the energy coming from the crowd, the energy coming from the band, and yeah, I think there's really something so uh, incredible about that feeling. Um,
2: yeah, it's it's much more rewarding, you know. Yeah, because um, uh, you 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 get the feeling of okay this is why i'm doing it you know Mm -hmm. like this is this is the moment why i'm doing all this why i'm in the studio for two years for one record and um you don't have i I don't really have that with with djing you know i never saw djing as this kind of art form you know djing that even say i have a show that sounds weird to me already (laughs) I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to, you know, I don't know, say something negative about DJing in general, because there are some incredible DJs, you know, seeing Dixon when I was 19 or something also completely changed me. Mm. Um, But for me, it's just, um, I guess with the music that I'm doing, it it will be just an easy way out, you know, it would be just uh, too, too easy and too, yeah, wouldn't get, give you that rewarding feeling of playing a live show.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah definitely. Uh oh, hopefully uh we can get back to that sooner rather than later.
2: Yeah. I mean right now at least there's some hope and you kind of I mean when everything goes well uh with like mutations and all that but mm-hmm. at least you have like a rough timeline of, you know, when touring is possible again. Yeah. Yeah. I mean fingers crossed. Yeah. Uh we have we have everything Uh, planned already also for like a u.s tour um, but we we just are not sure when we can announce which dates and it's it's a mess yeah yeah but um yeah it is it is it is strange putting out an album which i did like eight weeks ago Mm -hmm. without touring it you know i was just the album went online on spotify and you know apple music and wherever and that's it you know yeah the next day was just the same (laughs) there wasn't anything Uh, except like some zoom interviews Um, yeah but yeah it's weird it's it's strange strange times
1: yeah well like i say hopefully uh sometime soon things will be right enough again that uh touring can resume and everybody can hear this album live
2: (laughs) yeah i mean a, a friend mentioned to me quite interesting or like hopeful thought that you know 10 years from now or whatever when you kind of look back on the time, I think uh, you, you of course, you will remember the lockdown and everything, but you also will remember the time everything opened again. Mm-hmm. Like, I think it, it won't be just one night that is special and then everything's back to normal. Like, it will be a period of probably a couple of months that will be super special. Yeah. And, um, you know, that thought was really hopeful and really, it made me really euphoric about what's coming up you know because it will be super special to 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 um yeah walk around at a festival and stuff yeah. like that like you know it's so far away it's not just one season off like like now that it's two seasons off it will be so special that you can't even remember how it how it used to be yeah yeah
1: Ugh, bring it on i am ready
2: <laughs> yeah we um. are i mean we are ready we we kind of rehearsed um the live show already and